0: Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast,
1: where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most
0: successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez.
1: All right, Outcomes Rocket listeners, welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast. Today we have an outstanding individual. His name is Matthew Holt. He was a co-chairman of Health 2.0, founder and author of the healthcare blog, and board member at YTH among various other things that he's doing in healthcare. Matthew's been in the business for almost three decades and comes with plenty of experience that he's going to share with us today. And uh, before we carry on, I just want to open up the mic to Matthew to fill in any of the gaps that I may have missed in the intro. Matthew, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Saul. I think you've got, uh, yeah, you may feel pretty old, (laughs) I was already, uh, what worries me is I was already in my, uh, I was already getting into my 30s by the time I started this business, so not quite, I was in my mid-20s, so uh, I'm feeling very old today. (laughs) But anyway, but I think that's it. The things I do mostly these days are work on the healthcare blog and World Health 2.0, I'm having to tell you a bit more about that. As I said, I'm on the board of YTH, I do a little bit of advising for other small startups, and I you know, spend a lot of time working to connect people around, particularly around the, the worlds of of sort of new emerging health technologies. I'm in San Francisco, which is sort of doing the Silicon Valley mindset of, can we use technology to, to improve and change the healthcare experience, including outcomes? So that's probably a good, good enough summary.
1: Wonderful. So really excited to have you on and to dive into some of the things that you're up to, Matthew. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I, that I like to start off the show with is, why'd you decide to get into the medical sector to begin with?
0: Oh, geez. I mean, the joke is that for me, it literally was part of, it was a random thing that happened. I grew up in the UK, as you can tell my, by my accent, I went to college in the UK. I worked in the city of London, the sort of Wall Street of the UK for uh, three years. I was completely ill-suited and unsuccessful at that. And I got fired from a couple of jobs, you know, which is the market was sending me a message, as, as they tell you. I ended up at Stanford University doing a, you know, because it was, California was Beautiful and sunny, and I came out and thought I should figure out a way to get here and it was easy to come be a student. So I ended up at Stanford doing a master's program in political science. And I did a course on Japanese politics. And one of the things to do in the course was, wow. the second part of the course was to write a term paper, like a, you know, a research paper. And I was going to write one. My topic, you know, before I walked into the room, the professor was going to be the Japanese investment in the car business. This is how long ago this was, Saul. So this is when people were scared that Japan was taking over the world. <laughs> All right, this is 19, 1989, 1990. <laughs> and I literally... Uh, walks into this room and there's a bunch of grad students sitting around a table. And I'm sitting on the professor's right. And he turns to his left and says, okay, what's your topic to the first person? And it goes all the way around the table. By the time it gets to me, there are four or five other people who are going to do Japanese investment in the European car business. And I'm going, well, bloody hell, I'm not going to do the same thing that four other people are doing. So just on the top of my head, I said, perhaps I'll do something else. How about no one has talked about Japanese domestic politics or political economy. What about the Japanese healthcare system? I literally said it like that. And the professor went, well, that's wow. a good idea. And you know, he gave me some pointers and what have you. So I ended up writing this little term paper. And I thought that would kind of be it. And at the very next, not even the next semester, but Stanford had this quarter system. So that calendar, that uh, academic year, a guy showed up from Berkeley with some money from the Japanese health ministry to study Japanese healthcare and do cross comparisons with the US healthcare system. Because I was the only person at Stanford who had ever done anything about the Japanese healthcare system, I kind of got the job to be this guy's research assistant. Amazing. Literally, the end of that year, when I should have been going back to the UK to become a consultant car business or so whatever the hell I was going to do, <laughs> um, you know, he said, Hey, why don't you stay around, get yourself on a have you know, politics degree, get yourself on some kind of healthcare degree, and we can stay as my research assistant. I ended up staying on that program and picking up a degree in health services research. I ended up staying there for about uh, nearly three years. And the interesting thing was that although I'm now health to is working in Japan again, basically, what I discovered was that the American healthcare system, because I was doing a lot of cross comparisons from the American side, you know, even back in 1989, 1990, the American healthcare system was terribly screwed up. It was mm-hmm. very expensive. You know, had poor outcomes for the money that was being spent, etc. All the stuff that we know is true today wasn't quite as sort of bad on the metrics as it is today, but it certainly uh, had, had its problems. And the more I learned, the more I realized, wow, this is a major issue. So it turned out that sort of you know three, two and a half, three years later. I ended up being spat out the other side of Stanford. I have a political science degree, which I don't really use very much, and a health services research degree, which I probably use even less, but I ended up, I'm getting a job at a place called Institute for the Future. Institute for the Future was a, and still is, is a venerable Silicon Valley institution that does research and, and, and think tankery, and it had a big healthcare practice looking, basically being paid by drug companies, device companies, health plans, and big hospitals. To help them figure out the future of healthcare politics and the future of what was in those days managed care and the way we we're going to do payment reform. This is back in the '90s, before the the Clinton plan. Forget the Obamacare and the yeah. American healthcare act. It was before the Clinton plan, right? When I was going through the, the process, so I worked there. They also had a large sort of Silicon Valley technology practice with you know the Apples and HPs and Intel's and Silicon Graphics of the world back in those days as, as their customers. And they had a very, very putative little project, which is between the two, which is information technology and healthcare. And when I showed up, I kind of got stuck in the healthcare group, but I also took over that little project, basically because nobody else wanted to do that. And I always say that I was, you gotta be in the right place and you gotta be lucky. <laughs> yes. And it's now early, late 93, early 1994, and there's this thing, I literally walked into a guy's office, and he said, oh, you should look at this. And he was on his computer and he was clicking around, and uh, this was a guy, by the way, who had been laid off by Apple. So we're back in the days when Apple was about to tank, not, you know, what's the biggest company in the world now? <laughs> yeah, company. exactly. In, the but in those <laughs> days, Apple was in trouble, right? This guy there in the glory days of the Apple II and the first Mac, and he'd been laid off, and he was sort of hanging out at the future. And he was clicking around on his screen, and eventually he said, did you he hear that? And there was a little tweeting came out. I said, what was that? I said, that was the sound of an Australian song thrush that I've just downloaded from the University of South Australia in Adelaide. Using this thing called the Mosaic Browser on the World Wide Web, <laughs> I went, well, that's a toy. Nobody ever care about that thing, <laughs> but right, uh, right. pretty soon, you know, the impact of this, this thing called the World Wide Web and, and the internet, you know, on healthcare, start, I started to pay attention to it and uh, that's basically what I've done ever since.
1: Wow. <laughs> And Matthew, what an amazing story! How you took these twists and turns. You were in that room surrounded with your peers, and you were sort of in a situation where everybody had the same topic, and you decided to pivot. And with this small pivot, (laughs) you could go to that. (laughs) It was an intuitive pivot that you did that I find that most, if not all, outstanding leaders do is that they know how to trust their gut and make small pivots that lead to big change which is something that you did and one thing led to another you find yourself in this office with this gentleman once again making another decision to pivot and potentially what led to start your company that you you then sold what an amazing story and the takeaway there is when you're in these situations that you have to make a decision Being the same doesn't pay the bills. You gotta be different and not be afraid to make decisions. And that's something that you've done really well. So I appreciate you sharing that. And uh, what an interesting way of getting into the business for sure.
0: <laughs> well, in some ways, I like to sort of think there's a combination of things. Right, there's you've got to put in the miles, you've got to put in the, the learning. You, you can't. I was literally just talking to a guy today who dropped out of college, and I was basically saying, "No, yeah, you've kind of gone back. You got to get the stamp." I've talked to many doctors, and in fact, my co-founder at Health Two Point Oh, is a doctor who got to the end of medical school and then didn't get a residency. And I kind of think that there's a track you go down, and you've got to have a good reason to getting. If you're going to get off that track, you've got to have a very good reason. Uh, Indusabir, mm-hmm. my co co-founder, did have a very good reason, and she, she's done very well. At, you know, becoming an entrepreneurial, uh, an entrepreneur in healthcare rather than a, rather than a practicing doctor, but I think that for many people, you've got a little bit of opportunity that presents itself, and what, and you may not realise it's an opportunity. And it's you know, and I got, I clearly got lucky that that this guy, Ushikawa, my my then boss at Stanford, showed up with some. Research money, and that you know, a a grad student who has no money would rather get a paycheck than not get a paycheck. Absolutely, why was his? You know, (laughs) that's it wasn't like I thought that was going to lead to a massive career, but once you start looking at something and you get the opportunity to do that, you start going to it, you've got to start thinking, okay, how is this going to play out? So, I would say there have been two to three times in my career when I've done that. I I picked four, so I think first one was this issue of I'm now looking at the healthcare system in the US and going, wow, this is a big meaty topic, which is going to have some legs for a long time if I want to get involved in it. So that yes. was, you know, that was I think, a good one. I think the same thing was true about the, you know, when I was at Institute for the Future around the internet and information technology and healthcare. I kind of shied away from that topic. I was more of a policy and business guy. But I mean, eventually, it they, they say software, you know, well Mark Andreessen, the guy invented that mosaic browser. Says that That's right. software will eat the world, and I think he's he's probably right about that. So you know, it was a good thing to get connected. And then later on, I had one of the first uh, blogs in healthcare, the healthcare blog, which. Again, I kind of set up a bit of as an accident, but you know, then once I started doing it, I actually started aggressively pursuing it, mm-hmm. and that led to me that and a couple of chance meetings uh, with with Indusabaya led to us putting together the first Healthy 2.0 conference. So, you know, each of those has been like a turning point. I'm not sure I call them a pivot; they're maybe a build on stuff that had gone before. Each one of them, it's great to say, well, this one thing happened and then everything flowed from there. Each one of them led to a whole lot of hard work and not necessarily. Always successful work immediately afterwards, but um, so I think you've got a you know you get a certain number of choices and in, in lo- chances in life to try to do something meaningful. It's not quite the right term to do something uh, impactful, you know, maybe productive, productive, impactful. Yeah. Maybe that's it, yes, uh, and uh, productive. You know that's going to take you down a path, for whatever it is, and, and it's maybe mm-hmm. very different for different people, of course. But in fact, in all those cases, it ended up being some. You know, each of them built on previous stuff I'd done. I certainly couldn't have done the latter two if I hadn't done the first ones.
1: So. Sure. That's a great distinction, Matthew, this idea of building upon rather than just pivoting. And so I feel like you don't give yourself enough credit for what you've done. And with the intuition that you have and the choices that you've made and what you've built upon, what's a hot topic that you feel should be on every medical leader's agenda today and what are you guys at health 2.0 doing to address it well so uh,
0: let me start by telling you what health 2.0 does and as you mentioned earlier we, we sold just sold a part of our company although Indu and I are staying around and in fact it's it's uh, been a very successful transition because we we sold the art of conference business we're best known for running we're best known for running one big conference in the fall in silicon valley Every year we're about to, about to run our 11th, uh, although we run uh, seven, well, we're, we're running seven, well, why this year? Seven or is it six? Yeah, we're going to run seven conferences this year. So, you know, it's a lot. One in Europe, one in Japan, one in India and then four in the U.S. So But that's one we're best known for. Anyway, and our focus is on, it's either by region or maybe by topic, but our focus is on new emerging technologies and how they change healthcare. Traditionally, new emerging into information technologies, what I call smack health, social and sensors, mobile operating systems, analytics, cloud, and the K is for kindness. Nice. So we, we need some kindness in healthcare. Okay. Smack health. Um, I agree. what I I'm like calling that. it. I don't, I don't, like, the, I don't I like the term
1: did smack
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't like the term digital health I'm a bit pedantic there are things like I hated the term mobile health I don't like the term digital health because it, it implies a lot of of the first generation of computing which is currently going on in healthcare right now The sort of the use of the big EMRs and Epic's and Cerner's, and, and all scripts and others and, and uh, I think we need to move transcendentally past that and go to the world of healthcare in the cloud which is if you look at other businesses and in other industries it seems to be where they're going
1: Sure. Anyway,
0: so we focus on that in our conference business. And then we have a separate business, which Andrew and I have kept apart from the conference business, which is called Catalyst. And what Catalyst does is it helps large organizations like governments, so government, uh, economic development agencies in New York and the World Bank and foundations and, and big some big private companies like drug companies and health plans, catalyze innovation. We have a couple of different programs for that. One of them is a... Is a sort of marketplace program where we put together small technology companies with potential customers like hospitals, usually under the agents of, of creating a marketplace. We do that in digital it's actually called the digital health marketplace in New York. You mm-hmm. can tell that I lost a battle over naming that <laughs> I lost the <a> battle <laughs> over naming that one. <laughs> it's not called the Smack Health Market. The uh, and we do the similar thing with the World Bank in India and uh, we've done a similar thing in some poor communities underserved communities, uh, sponsored by Robert Johnson. We also run straight competitions and challenges, either for tech companies to help uh, big tech companies like at Allscripts to help get smaller tech companies to build on their APIs, or we just finished one with uh, Pfizer, where they were, we just finished one with Pfizer, where they have been uh, getting uh, technology and service companies to build tools for women with metastatic breast cancer. So you're seeing a whole lot of, so that's a way for us to sort of promote innovation. Sure. And then our is a way for so people to meet together and to showcase innovation, but also to, to build an ecosystem. We've been very successful in building an ecosystem of, of developers and you know, potential funders, whether they be large customers like a health plan or a pharma company or a Medtronics of the world, or investors like venture capitalists and consultants and other players. So we pride ourselves on sort of being a small, I kind of used to kid years ago that we're like the grain of sand and an oyster. If you make it annoying enough, there'll be a pearl will come out of it sure we got to the pulse not sure we got to the pearl st- sure status yet but you know there's <laughs> certainly well there used to be literally when we started in 2006, 2007 there were you know there were a few hundred people in the room in fact when we first knew and i first met in 2006 there were like 30 people in the room and now there are only a couple of thousand but not the biggest conference but there are tens of thousands of people involved there are four to five to six thousand companies building these what you know what people call digital health or smack health products. And they're not just focused on communication with patients and doctors or communication between patients and patients. Now they're focused on building diagnostic tools and sensors and putting the information and the, to some extent, the medical tech revolution out of the big institutions into people's bathrooms and helping people lead better lives at home. So to answer your question, (laughs) (laughs) the answer is that we're moving from a healthcare system which you can argue is 100 years old, you can argue is 10,000 years old, where what we've done is dealt with patients, clinicians, system, hospital systems, whomever, doctors groups, physician groups, drug companies, tech companies, whoever, have dealt with patients kind of on a transactional point in time basis. You came in to see a doctor, you got your seven minutes, your 15 minutes, whatever it is, something happened in that meeting, that transaction, and it was done. And maybe you got a drug at the end of it, maybe when you picked up that prescription, maybe you took it, maybe you didn't. Maybe you had surgery and you had an implant put in or whatever happened to be. And you may or may not have got good follow-up. What really has happened is that the healthcare system has been rewarded and has been focused on what happens in that transaction, in that procedure. And what has to change to, and it will, it is slowly changing this way, is that we need to be caring about the entire holistic, you know, 24-7, 365 experience of that patient and groups of patients and citizens as a whole with the healthcare system, which means we have to be collecting data about them wherever they are, and we have to be arranging healthcare to fit the healthcare experience to basically fit into their lifestyle, not the other way around. Sure. It's something that the healthcare system was not thought about at all. So I think that's a big thing, saying we're going to go from point in time to sort of continuous care cycles. But I think that that's very, very important. And it's the most important for the sickest people.
1: Absolutely, Matthew
0: you know uh, you, so, no, just, just no, to finish it's the most important of the sickest people because they take up the most resources but they also have the biggest need
1: <laughs> <laughs> no no that's great and you know what I really enjoy speaking with you about this topic because I could tell you're passionate about it and uh, how else do you stay in it for three decades if you don't have the passion <laughs> so I, can, I can imagine talking to you 30 years ago and it's probably still that same fire that you have today so that's really awesome and contagious really just kind of hearing you speak I'm getting fired up over here. You know, I want to get some smack health done. And so for the outcomes rocket listeners that are tuning in today, <laughs> being that, that you're, no, that,
0: actually, you can take a look. There's a, there's a website called smack.health.
1: Is that your site? Is it smack.health? If you go to smack.health, it's
0: kind of funny. So there's a, a new organization that's promoting uh, called .health, which is promoting the .health. They keep on Dot .health websites. They can say, no, no, it's the huh. .health, the main extension. It's like in you know, a .com or dot Yeah, in fact, or you, .io, Some websites like have a .co. So that used to be Columbia's. So it's the same company. They Somehow they bought the .co off the nation of Columbia. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> and now they're probably .health. We've had a great relationship with them. And they, they say, could you put up a smack? You know, it's funny that you're in the smack health thing. Could you put up a smack? .health. Website. So I put one of those up. It's fun and I'll be building it up. But <laughs> I'll have the, to check it main, out. That's not the main website. The main website that I'm associated with is, is the healthcareblog.com <laughs> and health2con.com, which is the health 2.0 website. Well, well,
1: what we'll do for the listeners, Matthew, is, is we'll provide the one that you want the listeners to check out. And with this topic of healthcare is leaving the hospital, we're having to focus more on population health and, and even beyond that, right? Point of access from a financial standpoint to a geographical standpoint it's super important and so with the use of technology as you mentioned being the vehicle to get to the next level i really like the idea that you shared about it's beyond digital digital was three iterations ago we're we're way ahead of that we're in the cloud now and so can you give uh, the listeners an example of maybe a conference that you have coming up where they can go and learn some more from people that are already implementing this oh
0: for sure depends where they're on the world but uh, the, the... Probably the, the most notable one is our large fall conference, which is our annual fall conference that's in Silicon Valley, Santa Clara, um, October the 1st to the 4th. What is it called? On, on the Health 2.0 website. It's called the Health 2.0 Annual Conference. So oh,
1: okay, got it, um, got it's
0: it. It's our 11th Annual Fall Conference. So it's the and Health And that's in an October? Yeah, so that's October, October the 1st to the 4th. And I think the, you, you know, just to pick up on something you said, Saul, the change that we're seeing, you know, so we have kind of now got healthcare more or less into the computer age of course the rest of you know society and business went there 20 30 years ago we've yes. kind of got people and we've now started recording what we're doing computer. you know we're not really using it in a sort of skillful or elegant way the way that we offer so many other conditions what we haven't really done is taken advantage of the ability of the sensor that's embedded in the mobile phones the mobile devices or is available on patches or in watches or to really be tracking properly. But we're, that's what's going to be coming next in my view. We're going, to, we're going to be doing that shortly. We're going to be collecting data in multiple ways that just weren't being number four. I mean, there are devices I'm seeing now that you can cough into. It's a company called Cloud DX, which, which built a device and you can cough into it. And from the timber and sound of the cough, it can start you know, diagnosing you and suggesting what's going on with you. There are a couple of companies, one called uh, Propeller Health, One called Adherium who've added basically sensors and packages and microprocessors to the outside of an asthma inhaler. And they're finding that by being able to figure out when people, when uh, kids or adults who had asthma take their asthma puff, they can not make them take more of it. They can have better outcomes because they're not missing doses because they're being alerted to it. And they know when you know, they can remind them about taking a dose, but they can also sort of look at the population health patterns and figure out why do we have more asthma in some areas than others? Is there some pollutant going on here which may be impacting change? They can, you know, they can improve outcomes for populations and, and by geography as well. So you're starting to think about not caring about that kid when they come in with asthma to the doctor every two months, but you know what's happening every day, several times a day in their life, because that's how they experience their asthma, right? That's the patient-centered view, not the uh, clinician or the system's view. And I think we're figuring out how do we move this massive behemoth of the U.S. healthcare system, the $3.2 trillion that keeps us busy and keeps you and me, you know, off the streets every day. That's How right. do we move that to being responsive to the fact that this new technology is enabling us to do this in a different way? And that's the challenge. That's a you great know, question. Continue on, you know, for the rest of my life, at least.
1: Matthew, that's such a great question. And really, I feel like one that, that is worth exploring here a little bit further. You know, I was recently at the Becker's Health Conference in Chicago, and there was a, a gentleman, he, I forget his name, but he was the CEO of Providence Healthcare up north on the West oh, Coast. Yes. It sounds like he's, him and, and, the, and the leadership team over there are doing a, a really nice job of integrating some of these new technologies. But overall, it's a challenge for systems to adopt them. Being, that you have the national exposure that you do and access to a lot of these folks implementing them, what would be the the top one or two things that you recommend to a healthcare executive when it comes to implementation?
0: That's a tough question because they have so much to do and there's so much regulation and so much it's already in their pipeline. But I mean what Providence has done is they hired a guy called Aaron Martin who used to work for Amazon, right? So they went that's right and they gave him a whole bunch of money and said, hey, okay, let's bring in some of that sort of consumer satisfaction, focus, and also operational excellence? And can you also figure out a way to bring in new, new technology? So I think probably the, the thing that I, I would think that healthcare leaders need to be thinking about the most is how do they marry two of the things I just mentioned. So one is a focus on the customer, patient, citizen, whatever you want to call them, the person experience. And by the way, that also includes the clinicians who are delivering care, that their experience has not been great either. How do you focus on improving that, that user experience, if you want to put it that way? And the other thing is, one of the ways you're going to do that is by doing what other industries have done, particularly you know the technology industry, but also in a bunch of others, where they have literally opened up their technology stack and allowed other people to build things on top. So the most obvious example of this is the Apple App Store, you know, the, the App right. Store and the Google Play Store and the Salesforce App Exchange and that kind of stuff. But you'll find the ability to work with other technologies and other technology-enabled services and to make that a sort of seamless part of your organization, I think, enables you to move quickly to do these things which you're going to have to do to move that battleship, right? So if you're something like a huge, like the Providence system, that's why you've got an Aaron Martin on board, where you've got a venture fund, we have got an innovation program. And while you're funding you know, new companies to come in and work with you and you're trying to open up your internal systems and allow people to build other solutions on top, which are going to make it easier for your customers, whether they be an employer or a health plan or an individual consumer, manage their healthcare process better. And you're going to also improve that consumer experience by a lot of these are simple things, right? Which is being transparent with the customer about where they're on the line and what's going on with their care, being transparent with a patient about how long they're going to sit there in the waiting room. Giving them tools in the waiting room to complete, you know, on an iPad rather than that terrible clipboard, having the information about the last time they were there in the hospital available present to them—all mm-hmm. these are things that we do not routinely do in healthcare. And I think to get what we know we need to do because we get it. I mean, I have to interrupt myself and drop myself for a second. I have a talk about this because my kid, his name is Aero, which is kind of funny, uh, and the talk was called. Aero, aerodynamic.
1: Oh, Aero. okay, got it. Nice. <laughs> it's that's Arrow Aero, cool Aero, but anyway, that's a it's cool, cool name. name. He
0: was he was named by his sister after an aerodynamic frog. I
1: love it. <laughs> Believe it or not. <laughs>
0: I love it anyway. <laughs> so you yeah, know one of those names that that's was awesome. given to him in the belly and stuck. So I had this this talk called uh, in search of intra aerobility because <laughs> uh, I was trying to Get access to all his different records because he had a, a high belly movement level when he was a day old. He's totally fine now; it didn't have any impact in the end. But that's good to hear. You know, I went through this this hay, haywire thing of chasing around between different clinics. He was sore and got sore in four or five different medical clinics in his first week of life, and none of them could get the record from the other one. And we at one point we got a printout which we got and left at home, and then then my wife couldn't remember what the, the number, of the tested result had been. The testing literally there was in one office there was a Electronic Medical Record from Epic, there was a a testing tool from Philips, like, you know, which he held against a spectroscope or something, which was held against his head to try and figure out what his actual number was. And then the the doctor was trying to figure out how bad this result was, given how old the baby was was and how much he weighed. And she pulled up her own iPhone, had an app on the iPhone, which wasn't connected to the other two. None of the data was going between them. And then, of course, when we left that office, that's the one where they gave us the piece of paper with the the result on it, which we then left at home for the next visit two days later. So they had to guess again. Oh, my goodness. All all this sort of chaotic experience. So to fix that, we're going to have to develop a much readier access to data, information, and sort of the customer service that goes around that. The bit I was going to say is that on the way to one of these appointments, I stopped in a cafe called Specialties in the the Bay Area. It's a chain in the Bay Area, San Francisco. Specialties sells you these cookies, which are just, they're probably Hot attack on a stick. They, you know, they, they, they're to die for. And I think they cost $3 each. They're very expensive cookies. If you go into specialties, they have iPads set up. You can swipe your credit card. It'll know who you are for your credit card. It knows what you last ordered. it knows what your favorites are. If you want a cookie again, you just hit the button and it gives the order dramatic, already back to the person behind the counter, you know, sort of six feet away. And then they even have, if you're going to have a more complex order, they even have, you can even put in a, a number into your order and pick up a pager, which will buzz you if you're like outside waiting. And I was going, the retail store here in the cafe has figured out how to do this for an order that costs somewhere between 3 and $20. Yep. That visit, each of those visits we have with my kid costs hundreds of dollars, and yet we have a clipboard, right? So that's where I was really going, it really brought home to me that I've been in this business by that stage for 20 years promoting this kind of stuff. Yeah. It's actually now three years two and a half, three years ago. And yet all the things I'm promoting and showcasing at Health 2.0 hadn't really made it into the real world. And so the challenge is how do you get this stuff into the real world so that the so seamless experience that I had, especially this cafe, happens in the doctor's office. That's what we're asking for. But if we can get that right, you know, forget curing cancer, if we can just get that level of customer satisfaction and ease of access right. We've made the experience so much better. We'll make it cheaper and we'll make it more human. So that's a m one that's the k in kindness and smack off so that's sort of still my campaign, if you like, or my passion.
1: Matthew, thanks for sharing that. I know it's a it's a very personal story, and I'm glad that your son is doing well. But inevitably, like, yeah, you know, why not? Oh, he's, he's, probably...
0: doing, he's, doing, he's doing far too well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, Arrow. If you're listening to this, uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, your dad's proud of you. I, I could see him. I'm proud uh, of him, <laughs> probably, but some of slow down a bit. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> That's awesome. So, uh, you do. know, and if the local cafe could do this, why can't we? In healthcare. And it's having candid uh, conversations with ourselves and holding ourselves accountable as healthcare leaders to bring it to the next level. And so I really appreciate you sharing that. You know, if the cafe could do it, why can't we? So, Matthew, one of the fun things that we do here on the show is we build a course. It's a fun little lightning round question answer session. So let's pretend you and I are building a medical leadership course on what it takes to be successful in medicine today. We'll call it the 101 course. or the ABCs of Matthew Holt. (laughs) I'd like to just write out the syllabus with you. Just get a couple brief answers to four questions. you ready for it? Far away. Okay. What is the best way to improve healthcare outcomes?
0: Track them, track patients religiously when they leave the facilities for a long time.
1: What is the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid while doing this? Not talking to the patients
0: about what their preferred outcome is. How do you- not their, preferred, not their preferred outcome, but their preferred input, you know, what do they want before they had that procedure.
1: Got it, and how do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? For
0: the most important thing is having compelling communication from your leadership about the clarity of mission of the organization and having that communicated consistently through the organization, especially large ones in healthcare.
1: Powerful. What is one area of focus that should drive everything else in the company or in the hospital?
0: I think it's probably improving the patient experience in a scorable way. I'm a little bit, you know, people got about their net promoter score, mm-hmm. but, you know, and I'm, I'm a little bit cynical about that, but I think it's to raise the, I think mean, you need to get patients and consumers or customers who've got higher expectations and the try at to, to match those and to grow on that. If you get that right, you're probably finding that most other things are going to fall out from it. I know that's, that's tough to hear in healthcare, but I think there's a lot else going on. But I think that's probably it.
1: Outstanding. And if you were to add a book to the syllabus, Matthew, what would that book be? Oh, just one? No, oh, you've been tough. Um, <laughs> if you want two, I'll
0: give you two. I haven't written do? it yet. You- <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would say that there's an old book by a good friend of mine called Michael Millinson called Demanding Medical Excellence, which is now, I think, about to be 20 years old. It's basically about the, the shift towards looking for better outcomes in healthcare. And that's a great one to, to go back to. So I would say Michael Millinson's Demanding Medical Excellence. It's dated, but it's the same basic problems, the same topics. You could have read it today and it
1: wouldn't have been that much different. That's outstanding. Michael Millenson, Demanding Medical Excellence. And Outcomes Rocket listeners, what we'll do is we'll add these awesome points shared by Matthew along with any of the resources and, and the book in the show notes. You could check them out at outcomesrocket.com and uh, look up the episode. Just look up Matthew in the search bar and you'll be able to pull him up. Matthew, before we conclude, I just want to share, you know, open up the mic to you again and just have you share one closing thought and the best way that the listeners could get a hold of you.
0: Okay. To get a hold of me is easy. You can Google Matthew Holt. Uh, there is a British male model. That's not me. <laughs> yeah, I'm the <laughs> healthcare guy. Matthew, Matthew. But I'm, uh, one easy way is ways to follow me on Twitter at Boy, B-O-L-T-Y-B-O-Y, Boy, Or look at the com or health2con.com. So that's probably the, the easiest way. And you can obviously find me on, online. It's very easy. Just Google me, Matthew. and am Matthew, Matthew, Holtnet If you want to find me. So that's finding me. So part of the thought is, that, is that, so what you're doing here, which is interesting, which is trying to trying to build a a series of sort of a combination of of thoughts and community and and, and syllabus around improving outcomes is great. The key issue is that there's a lot, and as you hinted in that last question, outcomes mean different things to different people. But we for sure know that on some of the gross measures and some of the individual measures, we don't do as good a job as we should for the amount of money we're spending in healthcare. And we don't have as satisfied a, a patient and citizen population as we should have. So there's a lot goes into that. And I think as you go through this and build more, have more interviews. You'll find that what leads to outcomes and what outcomes mean is very different for different people. Everyone will have their story about how personally they're affected by things. And even if it's a relatively trivial thing, like my son's issue, Mm -hmm. uh, which ended up being trivial. There are people obviously who have much bigger medical problems, I know very well. But I think that in the end, if you're gonna focus on what happened what was the consequence of what we did, rather than just what should we be routinely doing? That'll actually start to change the way people think about it. So I think, uh, you know, outcomes and outcomes rocket is a, a great place to start. And I really wish you luck building this community over time.
1: Thank you so much, Matthew. And you know, I, I really thank you for taking the time to be here on the show. I know that the conversation that we've had is really going to create some ripple effects of excellence in, in what we're doing in healthcare. So just want to give you a big thanks.
0: Uh, you're welcome. It was really fun doing it. And I hope I didn't go on too long to too many people. <laughs> you tend to be a bit loquacious.
1: <laughs> Get excited for Health 2.0's 11th annual fall conference and save $100 with this promo code, FALL17ROCKET. That's F-A-L-L-1-7-R-O-C-K-E-T. At this one-of-a-kind conference, you'll discover the latest innovation and hear the hottest topics and trends in health tech. Join 2000 decision makers including healthcare providers, developers, investors and startups as they gather to see over 200 live product demos, 100 plus thought leaders and 10 new company launches. Visit outcomesrocket.com/health20 that's outcomesrocket.com/health20 And use promo code FALL17ROCKET to get $100 off of this outstanding and exciting event. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to
0: visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more.